0: Hey, everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, the only blockchain event and media production company I trust. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into the crypto and blockchain space, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you won't be disappointed. My guest today, we're very special to have him. His name is Mike Caldwell, and he created the first physical Bitcoin, correctly pronounced as Cassatius. If you've never heard of Cassatious coins before, you've seen them. Almost every article about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency today has the pictures of his physical Bitcoins. It's those silver, brass, or gold-looking coins that on the back say cassatius and there's a hologram when you peel it off, it would reveal a private key. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Charlie. It's, it's so wonderful because, and, you know, I grew up very religious. And so when people ask why was the physical Bitcoin so important and so integral to the early days of cryptocurrency, I remind them of a story that you probably know. Um the ancient Israelites when they had you know told Pharaoh, "Let let my people go." They were wandering around Egypt for a while and they had this god and they didn't really have a physical manifestation of God and then they created what everyone knows as the golden calf. And God punished them and the whole story goes after, but the golden calf was created by the Israelites because they needed some sort of physical manifestation of God to really understand and to believe. And God said, you don't need it. And that was the whole thing. But I kind of compare that to your physical Bitcoin because I feel like we needed a something to hold in our hands, something tangible to play with and to show people with, in the early days at least, when we're convincing them that Bitcoin is the future of the world. Do you feel the same way? Hey try. I think that that's
1: a very good example. Very good to compare it to. And, I, and yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, for, for me, um, when I thought to do the Casatius coin, you know, I, I, I you know I thought of it in a lot more practical terms I think um, you know when I first came across cryptocurrency it was um, you know I already had a passion for understanding the concept of cryptography which you know lately I have to explain what that is I mean most people now know what cryptocurrency is but cr- cryptography is something that's totally abstract to everybody and always was um, but the, what, what I would notice is that when I tried to explain c- cryptocurrency to people in a, in a world where cryptocurrency didn't really exist, I would just get a lot of blank stares. And, I mean, I was explaining something abstract. I was excited about something that was totally abstract to anyone I would ever talk to. And, you know, they would look at me like, Mike, what, like what, what? I'm sure their, their, their words weren't saying, Mike, what's your problem? But their thoughts probably were. And so I, um, you know, I mean, this idea of this fantasy currency that existed only on your computer that you could transfer to other computers and never um, could put in your pocket just seemed anything but wonderful. And so, um, you know, when I thought... Yeah, you know, I'm going to make it so that you can put this in your pocket. It was almost born out of a utilitarian perspective where I thought, okay, I'm going to hand you something and then you can put it in your pocket and then I can tell you what it is and then you'll get it. And so, um, you know, yeah, when I when I thought to do it for the first time, I didn't think about, um, you know, I wasn't trying to think about how shiny it's going to be. I just thought about how useful it's going to be. And, um, as it turned out, it turned out shiny and, uh, it turned out, um, much to my liking. Um, and so, um, yeah, to compare it to, uh, you know, the golden calf, um, yeah, I never thought of it as, as of that, but it definitely turned out that way in the end. And I'm pretty happy about that.
0: That's a very interesting point you make that you created it out of your own need to be able to explain cryptocurrency to people, but more, moreover, you were more interested in explaining cryptography to people. And I feel like that message is somewhat lost. When I get up on stage and I give a talk about crypto today, I feel like the topics that I talk about are very much the same. And I'm almost getting up there and reminding people why. I, I get up there and I say, guys, like, yes, ICOs and 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 three xing and speculation and making a ton of money and blockchain blockchain this blockchain that, but do you understand why? And I I get blank stares a lot, and then I have to get into the whole Byzantine generals problem and how Satoshi was able to s- solve a generational problem using cryptography and mathematics. Is that something that you? explain to people like how do you explain it because i i could use some help in that
1: how do i explain it to people um well the the first thing i tend to say when i explain how i explain cryptocurrency is that i've got about 16 ways of explaining cryptocurrency based on who my audience is um i've never i have never actually explained the byzantine generals problem to anyone even except maybe outside of the context of computer science classes i know
0: it's it's a big but But I really like when I bring it down to that and I literally draw it out on a whiteboard and I draw a little city and I draw little generals around and I say, hey, guys, all right. So this is a city that needs to be conquered and all the generals need to be able to invade at the exact same moment or else they'll all fail. And I get into the whole thing and I draw it out for people. And then I say, how would you solve this problem? And then everyone tries to come up with these novel solutions. But the end of the day, and this is more in a classroom workshop. No one is able to, to 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 show how they would solve the problem, and then I say, "Well, let me explain to you how Satoshi solved the problem," and then they they get it.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. You you may be explaining to more of a technical type of audience who um, who, you know, would 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 view the the problem that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency solves in terms of the Byzantine generals problem. So like right now, um, I'm in business school. I thought I would um finish up my finance degree and so my day-to-day exposure is more around people who are either in you know in finance or management or they you know like one thing i've noticed is that at the business school um the concepts of computer science are a little bit further removed and so um you know like like if i you know like i find myself explaining bitcoin more in terms of triple entry accounting and debits and credits or um you know explaining how uh, how we are automating the process of auditing by using hash as a, as, as a way of checking data. Um, yeah. I, I, like I, I, I think I go back to the, to um, you know, when I, the first thing I explain when I explain explaining Bitcoin is that I've got about 16 ways to do it because everyone had, everyone sees a different slice of the picture. I mean um, the idea, the, the, the whole idea that crypto and Satoshi brought to, you know, brought to us as, as a gift to civilization is so encompassing and takes pieces from so many disciplines that any one individual only really sees the part of the picture that most contains to their skill set or their life experience and so you know if i'm explaining to a a legal professional well then i start explaining you know the, the the whole notion of cryptocurrency in terms of of you know what they see and 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 what's most salient to them, whereas if I'm explaining you know it to someone you know well versed in computer science, then yeah, the, the Byzantine generals problem is it, you know since that's one of the you know, one of the basic things we just you know we discuss in when we're you know discussing distributed applications and networking, you know there's there there are so many facets to this to the to this discipline that. Um, you know, there's there, there's no one explanation that covers everybody.
0: That's a good point. It depends on who your audience is, right? So you're mostly in business school now. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I mean, you were the founder of a, of a company called Swipe Clock, and that's what you did kind of before crypto or, or overlapping when you started um, Casasius Physical Bitcoins. But, you know, some would say that you're you're successful in that. Why go back to school?
1: Oh, that's a really good question as well. Why go back to school? Okay. So yeah, you're, that's correct. I, before I, before and during getting into cryptocurrency, I ran a software startup called Swipe Clock. And, um, since, you know, at, at, at this time, Swipe Clock has new ownership and, um, another company acquired Swipe Clock, um, Congratulations. thank you. Um, yeah, that was definitely adventure. Uh, definitely a learning experience. Definitely an awesome awesome ride. Um, so, you know, when I got into being, you know, a startup founder, I got into it not from a business angle, but from a technical angle. Um, I ended up, I um, mean, Swipe Clock started in, in essence because I came up with the right technical solution to solve a real-world business problem, not because I came along with with um, superior business skills, I mean, I, I came along with some certain personality traits and tendencies that that favored me doing well in that. But ultimately, what I came with is the ability to come and develop a, an app and, a, and a, a software ecosystem that, you know, the, the customers who use that solution, you know, the, the the you know their their behavior and their their willingness to purchase the services kind of tell us they like it. And so I came up with an app that was you know perceived to be of Of high quality in the marketplace and um as a result business people came in and helped me build the business and so I I started the business from a tech angle and knew very little about how business works and how accounting works and how marketing works and how operations works and and all the all of the different things that need to happen to actually run a business and so um you know, I ran that business for about 14 years before we got acquired. Um, and then my observations were that the people who acquired my business had all these had all this knowledge and had all these skills and abilities that that pertain to running businesses as though that was the primary discipline and the technical one was secondary. And so from my perspective back then, um I was like, wow, this is what I'm missing. Um, these people know how to take a business, make it more efficient, clean up all the you know, you know, clean up all the loose ends and either, you know, whether they sell it or whether they make it go public or whether, you know, whatever they do with it, they take it and make it into something better than it was before. And, you know, when they would put up, you know, exhibits on the on the on the on the projector screen, and I didn't understand them. And they'd use terminology that I was like, you know, like at, at the time I'm like, what's a SWOT analysis? And I mean, now,
0: you yeah, know. I remember that. Yeah, i never heard My that. My first day of, of, of college.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and so just I I, I mean the solution you know the, the big clue was wow I'm I'm I may be the the technical person in the room but I'm definitely not the business person in the room and um you know going to business school was definitely how I felt like I'd be closing that gap so I expect to you know I'm taking one class this summer just because I only have four classes left and only one was offered in the summer so you know come fall and or spring um, I expect to graduate with my business degree in finance.
0: Congratulations again. Thank you. It seems like the common denominator here that I can see is that you're sol- you're you're starting companies or I wouldn't even say companies, you're you're starting projects that eventually end up very successful to to solve your own problems. So my question to you is what other problems are you having right now because I want to invest in them. Oh yeah, you know what?
1: Um <laughs> Man, you know what? Like I I haven't here's one problem. I, I haven't spent enough time on a boat lately. Do you have a do you have a solution for that one?
0: I'll tell <laughs> you I need, to, I need to come out and busy. When's the last time we saw each other? Let me tell you something. You're always welcome and I love it because when I say that, people actually take me up on it. So this weekend, the week after, and then the weekend after, I have three different um people coming, some of them that I've never actually met before, but we've talked so much. They're coming to just visit and stay at our place, so you, you and your family are always welcome to come. Whether to stay at my house or we have an Airbnb that we run right down the road, you're always more than welcome to come. And <clears throat> excuse me, what I was going to say is, I've decided, like you, to to explore what I know. This is untold stories of Mike, but I'm going to tell an untold story of myself here. Um, I've decided to explore like different avenues and see what i really like and what i really want to do and growing up in brooklyn not really around the water um i fell in love with with boating in the water and i'm completely self taught and now i'm in the process of becoming a captain with the united states coast guard and that's a whole process and so um i'm very excited because people will have to call me captain charlie for for real <laughs> but um, i love it i love boating and who knows if i'll have a career in it i don't i don't think so maybe i'll do the occasional sunset cruise or deliver boats or maybe volunteer on a, on a, on a tugboat or something. But I just, I just love it because it's something completely different from what I've um, ever done. That's awesome.
1: I'm glad you, um you know, you had the opportunity to go and just explore life a little bit and see
0: what, you know, I guess this will be the wrong cliche, but floats your boat, you know, I, I use that. I probably use that, that cliche every single time, I'm on the boat. I find a reason. There's all these like boating related innuendos that I'll um, that I'll use, and so it's interesting because you know Swipe Clock is what it is. It's, it, you you need you you had a need right, and you, you you basically from what I read you turn these these credit card machines into into timekeeping um, machines to be able to, for for employees to come in and. And clock in and clock out. And I'm sure it, it became a lot a lot bigger than that, but you found the need and you found a gap in the technology that existed and you implemented that. As it came to Cassatius, um it became more of a culture. And because you got shut down by powers that be, and I'll get into that to that later, um, it became more of a culture. And you know this that books have been written about. About it, and they're collectors' items, the coins now, and they're collectors' items in so much that there are actually books that are, that are, are for sale, physical printed books that literally all they do is go through all the different types of coins you sold and you printed, and that's very interesting because I don't think that you expected that
1: to happen. Um, did I expect that to happen? No, I definitely did not expect that to happen uh, when I first started with the with the physical bitcoins. You know, Bitcoin was at like a two dollar price point, and. Yeah, I was thinking about how I could, you know, I was thinking, how can I shave 10 or 20 cents off the off the price of the coin? Because, you know, I was thinking, you know, how can I make this more efficient? Because no one's, you know, people are paying a premium. I like, I didn't really so much have the vision. I mean, I mean, we did. We all said, oh, yeah, when Bitcoin's $2, we're like, yeah, Bitcoin's going to be pie in the sky. Imagine Bitcoin's $100 one day. Won't that be awesome? I, mean, yeah, I remember that $10, $10 even. <laughs> yeah, $10, 100000 maybe even a million. I mean, it sounds, it sounds... It sounds equally ridiculous, you know. When we say Bitcoin will be a million dollars, you know, people will look at us and say, "Oh, yeah, you're just optimist. You know, you're just crazy optimist." But that's, you know, how the concept of Bitcoin being even a hundred dollars was back then. Um, and so, yeah. That's
0: interrupt you. For the price to go from ten thousand to a hundred thousand is only ten x, but from the price to go from one dollar to a hundred dollars is a hundred x. Yeah. No, it's
1: yeah. I mean, I think we all knew that this was going to be a wild ride. I mean, here's one thing, too. um, None of us expected. I mean, all the way back in the beginning, um, you know, especially around the time you you alluded to me getting shut down, um, you know, around that time, you know, if I walked into a bank, I was afraid to say I had anything to do with Bitcoin because the the you know, the, the sentiment at the time, uh, you know, what what was being spoken about it was that oh, Bitcoin is this thing that drug dealers use, and it's this thing that criminals use, and, and it's money launderers, and anyone who is involved in Bitcoin is probably involved in some sort of crime. And so, you know, if, if they say Bitcoin, don't open an account for them. So the one thing that we couldn't have predicted is that Bitcoin, at least today, is widely accepted as, you know, if, if nothing else, I mean, put all technology and cryptography aside it's widely accepted as a wildly successful investment that some people got in on and got really lucky at and it's 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 viewed as 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 legitimate it's viewed as legal and if i go into a bank and say yeah i do bitcoin people you know don't look at me like oh well what's his story that they're 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 proud of me in general and then um you know if i if I come along and say that I ran a business too, that, that adds credibility. So in addition to not being able to predict that, you know, the price would, the price action would be like it, like it, it, is in real life today um i would also say it's equally important to point out that the legitimacy or the widely perceived legitimacy is something that we could not have perceived and something we as a community totally lucked out on it 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 could have been worse it could have been bad it could have it could have been condemned you know if if um culture and society at large said nope we're, we're we're against this we hate this
0: that's a very important word you just said luck and that's something that we all say, and I tell people, it's like, how did you know to get into Bitcoin? And I say, honestly, I was just lucky. I was in the right place at the right time, and I feel you. I feel like you kind of share those same sentiments. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I I was in the right place at the right time.
1: I took an interest in cryptography before I had heard of cryptocurrency. Um. You because know, it's one of those things that, I, that that kind of just stood out to me as wow. Here's a discipline of mathematics that has such a high potential for utility, but not only is it ignored, but there's actually you know, there's there's actually interests that try to stifle people understanding this. Like you know that that's what caught my attention. It's like why is that? Why is it that there's this branch of mathematics that, you know, is it, it, I mean, it's complex, but it's not like you know, I, I mean, it's not outside of grasp, but there, it has so much utility potential. And yet it's treated like I, you know, when I heard that once upon a time, you know, cryptography was treated like ammunition and had export restrictions. And there was like a there was like laws that said that this this math you couldn't take to another country. I was like, wow, what's what's so special about this math that the powers that be don't want people in other countries understanding this math. There's got to be something to it, and you know, there's a lot of, of, of basic principles to it that kind of caught my attention as being, oh wow, this is very interesting. I'm surprised that we could be teaching this in schools, but we don't because there's so many things that we could do that would add, you know, integrity to society that if people tell, only knew, tell me
0: how, tell me how cryptography pre Bitcoin really excited you. Well,
1: here, here, how did how did cryptography? Um, excite me. Well, I mean, okay, so one of the basic um, core applications of cryptography is just encryption, getting information from point A to point B safely without the, uh, you know, w- without the ability for someone to intercept it or alter it. You know, like, I mean, there's there's war stories about how, you know, this country, you know, communicated this message to their people in that, you know, in that conflict zone and the message got intercepted and you'd have, you'd hear stories about how entire teams of people were there to code crack and, you know, with, with with our modern understanding of a, of cryptography, you know, like that would be like game changing for past military conflicts. And so, you know, it, being able to to um, communicate securely and then also to know that you're communicating with the correct person. You know, it's something we take for granted every day, every time censorship we type. resistant, resistant. Yeah. Non repudiation. The idea that you can sign something um, the, the idea that you can sign a document and have full positive knowledge that the signer really signed it is one interesting facet actually here's another thing that really what makes me wonder where in page you know in in year 2019 it's really common for us to sign legal documents prepared by legal professionals where it's a 10 page document and we sign signature page 10 and pages one through nine could be reprinted and replaced at will and it's like you know like or you know if, if an accountant publishes or you know produces a report um, rendering their opinion about a client and they publish it as a pdf you know anyone can go in that pdf and just use you know adobe acrobat or any number of tools to change that and publish the new one in its place as though it were the original and most people would know um it's like as in society like we pretend or are almost oblivious to the idea that that documents can be convincingly altered or they're, you know, they, they could be, you know, fake documents could be presented as real. We and just say it
0: won't happen to us.
1: Yeah, it won't happen to
0: us. Everything you just described, I, I've I've dealt with. Um, you know, you have a 50-page agreement, and the lawyers just circulate the signature pages. Yeah. It's like, yeah, h- how do you associate a signature page with the rest of the document? But if somehow exactly. um, with cryptography, we can timestamp, or not timestamp, but we can... Um, Every page basically is a, a link in a chain, and if one page gets changed down the road, the whole chain breaks. I mean that's what cryptography is, and that's what Satoshi needed to solve with 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 money, with finance, with value. Yeah. Well, so, you know
1: we we put our trust in so many things that you know. I mean, notaries are still a stamp. You know, you you go get something notarized, and and they pull out a rubber stamp. And all of a sudden that makes it so official enough to be accepted by like immigration control or all kinds of other legal, um, legal authorities. And I'm just like, wow, how hard is it? Like if someone wants to be malicious, how hard is it for them to like, you know, make a fake stamp? I mean, like they could probably make a fake stamp on their printer for all I know. I mean, like what's so special?
0: And so so in Europe, the notary union is one of the uh, oldest like trades and oldest unions that still exists today in the United States it's easy to become a notary you take a test online you get your stamp in the mail but in in Europe especially like in Austria or Switzerland there there can only be so many notaries in in every city only has one or two so there's like maybe a few dozen in the whole country and it's like passed down from father to son
1: yeah there is yeah different different cultures different you know different practices i assume that we must have we must come from a long tradition of people where well, geez, it, it worked. It's worked for the last how many years? And you know, no one's broken it. So this old rubber stamp method that I don't know how many hundreds of years old technology that is still good enough in twenty nineteen. So yeah, no, like crypto is one of those things that that um actually solves all of the problems all the theoretical problems that go along with you know the idea that documents can be altered by page substitution and so but you know to just to get um you, before you were talking about you know what made me think of getting into you know bitcoin because you were saying man you're so lucky to have chosen bitcoin as something I said, i'm so lucky into. yeah you know we both are very lucky <laughs> um ultimately, um, we, like. I mean, for me, I got into Bitcoin, because I already saw crypto as their cryptography as being a solution that solves real world problems. And when I heard about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, I, I feel like I immediately knew what that was, even though I had never looked at it. Because when you know, the name Bitcoin sounds a whole lot like BitTorrent, which, you know, is distributed file sharing. So when someone said Bitcoin, I'm like, Oh, that must be distributed money that uses crypto as a way of of securing the system, just like, you know, BitTorrent uses crypto to ensure the, you know, and ensure that the accountability of the other participants that they're not sending junk to the system. And so, um, you know, that's where the fascination came from. And that's kind of where I felt like I was ahead on the learning curve, because when I started learning about Bitcoin, I had a cryptography background, just a cursory one. I mean, I'm not like a cryptographer or an expert, you know like a scientist or anything like that but the the idea of what cryptocurrency was wasn't something that i had to climb the learning curve like everyone else does when they hear about crypto excuse me, in cryptography for the first time. So my fascination came early and it, I mean, it was luck, but it wasn't pure blind luck because there was definitely a wow, a passion an enthusiasm for me to want to talk about this and say, Hey, here's a world problem. Here's a solution. Everyone look at, th- look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And it's like, Oh yeah, whatever. So this shiny token, that's now what, what is that? You know? Um, yeah. And so people tell us we got lucky in the end.
0: That's a crazy thing to say because you were the last person to actually need a physical Bitcoin. Someone like me, most people, you know, who got in earlier, even today, um, seeing pictures of a physical Bitcoin or explaining to, you know, I explain it to my grandmother. and The first thing she say she says is, "Is it physical?" But you 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 create things to solve your own problems. You didn't need a physical Bitcoin. You were the last person to need a physical Bitcoin. So why why create them?
1: I wanted to talk about bitcoin and i found that when i had a, an example to put in someone's hand that people would be like oh what's this and then all of a sudden they would be driving the conversation because the curiosity would be there we can't
0: do that anymore like the your physical bitcoins are so rare and so hard to come by and trade with such a premium now i remember i, I can't even think about how many physical ones i've given away roger roger veer would 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 show up at my office with with boxes of the coins you know one one Bitcoin coins and I would would give them away to people just to show them. I remember Christmas 2012, uh, sorry, Christmas 2013. I gave a one physical Bitcoin as a Christmas gift. And I think it was worth a few hundred bucks at a time. I gave one to like my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law to a lot of people, to just people that I didn't even know that well, just random people. And that my wife, part of my wife's family and Ninety percent of them still haven't sold it. They still have them. It's their retirement. They say.
1: Yeah, uh, I I never imagined that it would be like that. Like when the the first day I rolled up a a roll of of those physical bitcoins, I literally went into my office at swipe clock and just started passing them out like candy because at two bucks a piece, you know that's what that that's basically like giving a bag of M and M's to everyone. And so yeah, those those very first ones out on the first day, I just gave them away like they were nothing because like they giving were giving out bags they of M and M's. Yeah.
0: I love that. So can you can you um walk me through and just because I'm I'm interested to know from your perspective, walk me through like cause you had you had a lot of different series and you had different versions and you know, different seasons you could say and you had some error coins. Like can you walk me through the first one and then each series and basically like what you remember about each one and how important they were to you?
1: yeah well let's see where do i start I um yeah where do i start the 2011, 2011 error.
0: 2011 point.
1: yeah the error coin it's funny how the error even came to be because you want to know what like i'm a I'm there was an error
0: angry. error wasn't there
1: there was an error there was an error yes the the casatius was spelled wrong in the small print and i was so embarrassed because to me like to me I, i'm you know like spelling is actually a strong point for me to, so to have a spelling error on a coin i was i was like I can't believe this. Yeah. So, um, okay. The, the the idea originally came about because I was convinced that I wanted to create something physical to hand to people to say, okay, now you have a Bitcoin in your hand. And so the idea was, okay, I need something that that you know shows um, proof of you know, that the the item hasn't been tampered with. And the original idea that I had in mind was just go over to Home Depot and get some washers because I needed a metal object with some space in the middle. I was thinking, okay, I'll go get some washers and then print a private key, stuff it in the hole of the washer and then put two holograms on the outside as a way of saying, okay, here you have a Bitcoin. But then when I... Yeah, that's literally what I was gonna do. Um, But when I went and priced it out and learned what the price of a hologram was, I'm like, okay, if I buy a washer, then I've gotta put two holograms on it. And the price of those holograms, if I can go and only put one hologram, then I'm actually saving enough per unit to, to go and actually get custom, you know, brass tokens printed up for me. So instead of using washers, why not? I just go contact a company that produces arcade tokens and have them produce me a custom basically arcade token so that's what i did um so the first you know the, the first 2011 series was a brass arcade token and instead of having a hole in the middle i just asked for an impression where a piece of paper could be could be fit and the kind of the way that works is i just asked for the impression and then once i got the first prototypes of the coins i started shopping around for the right paper that would fit the impression and then still leave the sticker flush when viewed from the outside. And so that was, that was the first Casatius coin from 2011. And the way the hologram came about and the way the spelling error came about is I contacted a company that produces and designs holograms and said, okay, here's what I'm doing. This is what I want in it. You know, I want this overprint, you know, I gave them all the details and all the information of what I wanted. And they came back to me with two samples and you know, here's sample number one and here's sample number two. And, you know, they went to me, you know, you know, I looked at them and I was like, okay, I really like sample number one. And I went and I'm like, okay, so I'm sitting here thinking sample number one is going to be the one that I choose. And so I'm inspecting it closely and I'm looking very, you know, fine detail, zooming it in, taking a look. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm about to go and commit to the order and say, okay, I've chosen my, I've made my choice. Sample number one is the one I want to go with. And, you know, so the, the, the rep from the hologram company was like, okay, well, let me tell you about sample number two, um, sample number two has got this big B in the middle that has, um. You know, like the the appearance of the bee looks like it kind of pops. It's got some angles on it that make it look like it's, you know, I would call them like little 45 degree angles that, you know, give it a three dimensional look that just wasn't visible in the sample. And he he pointed out to me, okay, when you look at this at at this image on the screen, it doesn't do this justice. You're going to really love how this bee looks in the middle. And you, you just have to wait till you see it. And he's like, Mike, I recommend that you go with, with, um, you know, solution number two or sample number two, if, you know, all else considered. And I thought about it for a second. I'm like, okay, this guy probably knows what he's talking about. So I said to him, yep, I'll go with number two. Well, guess what?
0: <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. a crazy story.
1: Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so I how never. How many port- were
0: printed? How many were, so you got the holograms and how many did you you didn't notice the the spelling error right away, or did you because you printed how many coins and then sold them with the spelling error? how many how many Bitcoin worth? Oh, to be honest with you, I actually don't know. Other people have done a good job of running stats,
1: and off the top of my head, i I don't know. So you know i'm <laughs> I'm going to be safe as not trying to give numbers because if I try to say they'll be my guesses and they're going to be true. Wrong. for
0: the for those listeners who'd like to know, there's a website called cassatius c a s a s c i u s. Dot .uberbills.com and that website has all the stats about how many coins are in circulation, how many moved, how many were created for each coin and it's a very interesting website to follow around.
1: Yeah, that's that's that, that's a there's there's that's definitely one of the websites I would send people to to get stats. So yeah, I did a whole run on those but I was like, man, like I was so embarrassed. I mean, in the end, you know, people you know, treasure those coins and, and prize them even more. I mean, okay. Like there's, if there's a spelling error on a coin, you know, it brings up, you know, I mean, the plausible point is, okay, if you can't even be bothered to spell your own name correctly on a coin, then how should I trust that you did a good job of, you know, putting a, proper private key inside the coin. And yet I was meticulous on that. I just made the foolish mistake of not giving sample number two, the same level of fine tooth comb pouring over as I gave sample number one. I just assumed they came from the same mold. So, you know, how different could they be? You know, I just assumed that, you know, I I spell checked the one and never thought that I really needed to look closely at number two as well. So, um, so in the beginning,
0: how did you print the private keys? So each, each um each coin has a mini a mini private key engraved on on the not engraved printed on the back of the of the hologram and when you remove the hologram you'd know that the hologram was removed and that the the key was you know exposed and so if you ever got a a a coin that had the 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 hologram removed you'd know about it and so how did you go about securing and printing the private keys on the first coins and how did you automate it or knowing you wanted to make everything more efficient how did you make it efficient over time
1: oh how did I go about printing the private keys well i mean that the, the you know you almost could expect grandiose answer but really all i really did was i went down to office depot and picked up a printer that only had usb connectivity and i printed it with a normal printer that you know is very typical of what you probably already have on your desk right now just a regular inkjet printer but i did take care to make sure that i chose equipment that wasn't going to connect to networks or the internet at all because i um i literally destroyed all the equipment afterwards
0: with a baseball bat
1: um you know some of i didn't use a baseball bat
0: like that Um, scene with off with office uh office space when they go out with the printers and they with the mafia music playing and they hit the i don't know if you've seen that movie they hit they they start beating up their printers and their computers Oh yeah, no, we had fun with the printer. So I take, I, I, when I was done with the
1: printer, I, I, um, you know, I t- took it to my kids and said, let's take apart a printer. And we just, just, we just trashed this printer and we took the printer apart. And the only thing I did to make sure that I super trashed was I located the memory chips on the printer. Not that I was worried that the, prim- the printer was going to memorize my print job, cause that's pretty paranoid, but I found the, the, you know, I found the flash memory on the printer and just, you know, just, jabbed at it with a screwdriver but yeah we just took the printer apart as an exercise of taking something apart and then the hard drive took it apart ground up the platters you know we and and then i I had also used some some like usb sticks in the process i hit those with a hammer and you know um yeah we i physically destroyed that that was you know i don't know why it was it was was symbolically fun because i was pretty convinced that this equipment wasn't going to be memorizing my stuff but you know, I, I, I did, I took really good care to make sure that, you know, I had 0% possibility of those keys being recoverable, even whether by, you know, whether by accident or by someone who, you know, discovers the or was able to identify the equipment years down the road in a landfill or something like that. I didn't want
0: that. Or even you, you'd want people, you want people to know that you had no ability for, for getting back the private keys oh
1: absolutely i don't want people to believe that i am you know the custodian of who knows how many millions of dollars worth of bitcoin that they could come and you know come after me for i didn't even want that as a possibility no, I didn't want. I didn't want the feeling of the temptation. I didn't want any anything associated with it. So to me, I don't even think about it day to day because I know that those private keys are long gone. So you know, I've actually had people contact me. It's like, hey, I lost my my item got stolen. Do you have the private key? And the answer is nope. Sorry, I don't. You know, that's all there is to it. There's nothing else to say beyond that.
0: Well, you decided to have fun with this too because you didn't just print a one Bitcoin uh, brass coin. You eventually started printing. Um, and, and, and forging, you know, I don't like to say the word minting, but you're forging these uh, coins that were in one, five, 10, 25 Bitcoin denominations. You created these bars, you created a silver coins, you had gold coins. I mean, you literally created a whole different uh, series of these of these coins.
1: Yeah. Um, at the time, I was using, I was on the Bitcoin Talk forums, and as people, as I would, you know, talk with people, people would say, "Hey, wouldn't it be nice if you had this?" and "Wouldn't it be nice if you had that?" And I'd go down the rabbit hole of looking into what it would cost to produce them, and you know, as it turned How many out,
0: businesses were created on the Bitcoin Talk forums, including my own.
1: Oh yeah, that's the you know, someone's probably figured that out. I'm sure I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone has gone through and. You know, you considered the, Bit Talk, the Bitcoin Talk forums as, you know, good research, good archival material to, uh, you know, of Bitcoin history. But, yeah, probably many. I, I didn't realize that you credit Bitcoin Talk for creating. I, I'm assuming the, um, you know, the the BitInstant business you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, so BitInstant was created the same way yours was created. It was I was literally on the Bitcoin Talk forums and in May of 2011, and I saw a post by this guy named Gareth Nelson, UK. That was his username. And he said, "Hey, I have a, I have an idea to make it faster for people to buy Bitcoin." And I had just, I had just gotten, um, I had just bought Bitcoin from Mount Gox at the time, and I was like, "This is freaking difficult." And then I tried to buy Bitcoin from Jared Kenna at Trade Hill, and who was just a guest on the show as well. And that was crazy because his bank account got frozen like that same day, and I was like, "This thing is going to fail if we can't make it easier to buy Bitcoin." Yeah, and so. Um, G- Gareth, uh, had an idea and on the, and I, and you could literally, I, I've pointed people back to this post. You can see the conversation between me and him. And I was like, tell me about the idea. And he's like, "This is the idea. And I said, all right, oh, I'll give you a thousand dollars and we'll, I'll give you a thousand dollars and we'll own the idea together. And he's like, great. And so then privately offline on, we, we met up on, on IRC, you know, and on the, on the free node network and, um, we came up with the idea. Actually, BitInstant was called Fast Mountain Gox Pay. That was the original name for it. But it's all started on on a Bitcoin Talk thread.
1: Yeah, wow that that was that's definitely a loud or a long name. And now that Mt. Gox has a little bit of a connotation today, it sounds almost <laughs> yeah. like you know you, you by by all perspectives you did well by choosing the name that you ultimately chose. And I, I remember I did exactly one transaction with BitInstant just to try it and um it was just off the cuff i went to walmart and i think it was for a really trivial amount and i don't even remember i
0: remember it work probably That's use the red I,
1: phone use the red phone
0: did you have to use the red phone a lot of people had to like moneygram locations had a red phone and you have to pick up this red phone but um what was very interesting was even even as as recently as like 2014 he, when someone would pitch you a, a company idea not just like an ico but a a company idea, um, Coinbase and the likes, and all these different companies. The first thing you'd say to them is, "Where's your Bit- Where's your your Bitcoin Talk thread? Like, I want to see um, the thread, you know, because all the 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 users on of Bitcoin Talk were so and still are so, but it's it's diluted too much and it's gotten very trolly. But the users of Bitcoin Talk, especially what your status was, are you legendary status? Were you how many posts did you have? What was your status on Bitcoin Talk? We're seen as like the due diligence of the industry. So, if you didn't, if, when you make a thread and you survived five pages of people ripping your idea apart, you'd be then seen as investable or successful.
1: Oh yeah. I never thought of it that way, but I could see that as being a valid, um, a valid perspective, a, you know, a valid way to do, do due diligence on people. Cause at the time, you know, scams were a plenty. I mean, you'd have, you know, you had Ponzi schemes, you had, you had, you know, casinos. You, I mean, it, it, like when crypto was first came out, it was ripe territory for scammers because there was all kinds of new scams possible by the technology that people just hadn't caught on to how to avoid. So yeah, I, um, totally. I could see that as legit.
0: And so, um, these coins were very popular over time, over the over the next few years, and I think somewhere um, on this Uber Bills website, and we're taking it for granted, you know, we don't know how accurate it is. But it seems like it's pretty accurate because it links to, you know, all the all these different um, it links to the threads and 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 links on the blockchain. It looks like you created somewhere around twenty-seven thousand different coins and bars and different denominations, ranging from point one Bitcoin to to even had two you even had three 1,000 Bitcoin um, bars created and coins, um, somewhere in a total of around 90,000 Bitcoin. And it looks like um, out of those 90,000 Bitcoin, um, less than half or are, have been opened. So you still have somewhere around 40,000 Bitcoin worth of, of these things that still haven't been taken up from the hologram. And they're trading, you know. You see, there's like secondary markets on eBay and on uh, Bitcoin Talk and on Open Bazaar, where they, you know, especially the error coins trade at a at a very high premium. Um, why why did you stop? What happened? Oh, why did I stop? Yeah. Um. Well, I I, I had to stop at some point. Um.
1: Why did I stop? Well, there was a lot of reasons. Um. Uh, one of them was that um i was making all the coins personally i didn't really like i okay you know how i was really concerned about making sure that the private keys you know are intact and are as you know i mean like i don't i don't believe i made a single private key error and you can only be that meticulous just to a certain scale before you have to change something so i was i was hand stuffing every single private key in every coin and it started to get to the point where it's like wow um that's what I'm doing. That's like, that's like, I mean, like I, I didn't mind doing that, but then, um, you know, it started to become, you know, the, the price of Bitcoin was going up and here I am now dealing with collectibles that are worth, you know, hundreds and a thousand dollars a piece. And, you know, that like when I first thought of the idea, these Bitcoins were worth like two bucks a piece. And so, you know, I I, ha- I didn't feel like I had the security in place that was necessary for handling that high volume worth of value. I was thinking, yeah, someone's just going to come and rob me for these. I don't want like hot potato now. And then
0: it's too much of a so, risk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So risk. And then there, there was the time involved. I mean, if I'm spending all my time stuffing coins, then I don't really ha- I'm not really putting time in place to consider things like how to, you know, you know, do regulatory compliance. I mean, keep in mind, this was just a hobby. This was like, how can Mike, you know start conversations about Bitcoin, you know, like someone who approached it with a, at a bit from a business angle that says, okay, we're going to invest this much in security. We're going to invest invest this much in regulatory compliance. We're going to have a compliance officer. We're going to have all these controls procedures and audits. You know, someone who approached it from a business perspective would have a great deal of success doing it. I just approached it from, well, geez, I could get, you know, arcade tokens instead of washers and save 12 cents a piece. You know, like I, I approached it as a hobbyist. And so I, like I was literally in over my head when you know FinCEN was like well you need to register as a money transmitter and you know follow a a, I mean my legal counsel at the time was saying yeah it's the second you register you are on the hook for you know all these regulations that quite frankly we don't even understand because that's not our expertise you'll have to have a compliance officer and you'll have to have you know legal counsel that specializes in all this stuff and I'm just thinking you know forget it like because on top of it all you know I'm asking people to trust me that I'm not going to steal their cryptocurrency. And I don't even want the question out there. I don't want people even questioning as to whether I could steal it. And the more coins I produce, I mean, I'm basically trying to tell people, okay, here's a good way to hold a couple bucks in your pocket. But as a best practice, having someone else Being trusted to not steal your money because they have your private key is actually bad. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. And so, you know, at two dollars, no one cares. If I can, it's like Charlie. If I can rip you off for two dollars, I don't think you care. You're, you can, you know, it's, it's going to. You know it's the price of your coffee or your coke in the morning but when it's like eight thousand dollars it's just like okay now it's people start to wonder okay people have killed over eight thousand dollars yeah exactly and i'm like this is just becoming more of a risk um i've already succeeded at getting people to talk about bitcoin now it's bigger than i ever imagined it's going to be and it literally is time for me to move on so i it was it was it, it was actually an easy decision for me to make it's like okay Queen break. Got to be done with this. Um, that was great. This was nice. Yeehaw, hooray. Wow. Okay. I'm now going to do something else.
0: It's interesting because um, I had to shut down BitInstant for very similar reasons. We were, the whole concept of, of BitInstant was to to get Bitcoin in the hands of as many people as possible. Very similar to you. We, um, Bitcoin was trading at $2, $3. It wasn't, it wasn't a huge thing, but at some point it got so big. And then in 2013, the government came out with the the famous FinCEN letter, which basically said that anyone you know dealing in Bitcoin is considered a money transmitter. Um, I remember very, very, very specifically, not very long after, I got a call from my lawyer and said, basically, you're now considered a money transmitter. You need to get these licenses, or shut down, and or, or we can't represent you anymore um, because you're now operating in in a very gray area that we don't like. and And I basically had to shut down the company. Very almost instantly because for very similar reasons, but, you know, the, the answer that you just gave, you know, um, I, I understand and I can, can, can completely empathize with because I feel the same way. Um, I feel like BitInstant had its place in the early days of, of, of crypto, but by the time we shut down, there were so many other companies doing a better job, than us with, with, with the cost, with the ease of use, with the security aspect of things, um, Coinbase being one of them. And so by the time we shut down BitInstant, I was saying to myself, you know what, there was, a, there was a need for this. We helped create and we helped put Bitcoin on the map and get as many people talking about Bitcoin and using Bitcoin as possible. And there just doesn't, there isn't a need for us anymore. So I don't regret or feel bad having to shut down the company.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. We we did what we needed to do at the time we needed to do it. But at the end of the day, someone else is gonna do a better job of it. Like I'm not the best person for the job to go and run it. I'm the best person maybe to have started it. And maybe you were the best person to, to start Instant. But like, I don't know about you, but if I try to put myself in your shoes and imagine you as the CEO of Western Union, I'd be like, ah, is this a joke? Like there's so much there's so much more to it. I don't, like I couldn't do it. It's just not my expertise.
0: I and completely I agree shame with
1: you in that.
0: And do I, you, you know, I mean, so the, the, the question is, do you have any plans to like start a new series down the road just for nostalgic reasons or you're completely done with it?
1: You know, maybe I would actually be open to the idea of producing things that um are, you know, I mean, they don't have to have Bitcoins embedded, you know, if it, I mean, Cassatius is a brand that is established for, you know, for having the story that it had. And it has its place in
0: history, and the place in the marketplace. And, um, you know. Um, it would have to be for nostalgic reasons. Oh, absolutely. So the, there are a lot of people, you know, no offense and you know this already. There are a lot of people nowadays creating physical Bitcoins that are doing a lot better job in in how they're printing the private keys and how they're securing it. I own some of them, but none of them were the first and none of them have the nostalgic reasons. And none of them <clears throat> existed or had to shut down for the same reasons that a lot of early crypto companies had to shut down. So I don't know, like maybe you partnering or with a company that has the money transmitter licenses to actually sell coins with a private key on them, maybe BIP38, you know, so there's a, a secondary password could be a really cool idea for you.
1: Maybe, maybe. Could be. I, I, I've, I've considered it. Um, I think my track record for the integrity of my coins is perfect. And in a way, I almost don't even want to jinx it. I'm, you know, so I, it's either that or produce something that that is instead of being a functional physical Bitcoin, because it's almost like been there, done that. You know, I mean, I almost want to, you know, throw out the idea of, you know, being a label to wear as opposed to being a functional, um, you know, a, a functional piece of utility. I mean, what do you think of that? you know, if it was, you know, I, like I was at a dance recital not too long ago for, you know, ages, you know, four to 14 and they had like 48 different little sub themes. You know, there was kind of like, you know, Bruno Mars. And then they were kind of like, you know, Valentine's sure. and one, of, one of the, one of the themes was money, money, money. And the, the dancers would come out and they would dance and they're all dressed in green sparkles. And there's a video playing in the background that they're all dancing to and music playing and they're showing dollars and gold. And then all of a sudden there was a scene where they showed bitcoins. It's like, oh wow. Even at a, at a dance recital for teenage and for children and teenagers bitcoin is widely associated with money to the point that whatever company is producing the background artwork video artwork for these dance recitals that they are including a a, a, a little a video clip of bitcoin because bitcoin is in 2019 money and i'm like wow wow i and, know you you'll never you know, think
0: that i would prefer if you never printed coins again and because it it, it it, like you said, preserves the integrity and the um, the nostalgia of it. But what I do think needs to happen is more people need to be talking about, you know, your story and and these stories. And that's the reason I created this podcast is to basically preserve that that history that only exists on the Bitcoin Talk forums and and things like that. And I could only do so much, and I have to give credit to someone like Mo Levine, who, um, you know, um, last year at the at the Bitcoin Miami conference that he did, he actually had a pop-up Bitcoin museum Oh wow! and had some of your coins in there and other things. He had a little, would, it would be a, it was a pop-up walkthrough museum. So there was a little, it was, it was a, it was a an enclosed tent. So it was a tent that was enclosed and it had little pathways and you'd enter and you'd exit at a different place at, and it was a little pop-up museum and everyone loved it. And what kind of, I have to be honest, what what got me a little scared and it was like a punch in the face, a little, not a punch in the face, but like a wake up call was most people who went through these, went through the museum and who call themselves, because I was waiting kind of outside the museum and talking to people like, what did you think? And I have people that call themselves early adopters or whatever you want to say. They were coming out of this thing saying, wow, I didn't know about all this. And I'm like, oh my God, how bad are we at preserving our own legacy and our own history?
1: Yeah, well we, we are, I mean we are a community and we do have an exciting story to tell and I guess early is a relative term. I remember being in a group of people who, you know, called themselves early adopters and they joked to one another, "Hey, guess what? I heard that M- that Mount Gox is was actually MTGOX, Ma- Magic the Gathering online exchange. Can you believe that?" And these are people who had never um, traded on Mount Gox before, let alone known it's known it's first owner, let alone its second. I mean assuming I mean I only I, I became first familiar with Mount Gox when it was Jed.
0: Yeah um, before it was
1: Mark. Yeah. Well yeah most before people it was don't Mark. even know that though. Yeah.
0: And yeah, so the I quote remember. I said in the beginning was <clears throat> the quote I said in the beginning was the past is not dead, it's not even past.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm with I, I'm with you on that. And then there was a past, there was a past even before me because Satoshi. You know, this is kind of funny. Satoshi disappeared from the Bitcoin Talk forums like less than 24 hours after before I registered for the first time, which was kind of eerie. Um, I never got to talk to Satoshi, and I missed him by a day. Do you remember when that was what date that was? Oh, it was in, it was in December of 2010. I don't remember the exact like which day or time it was, but I remember if you look at Satoshi's last post and my registration time there within 24 hours of each other. That's insane. The gap, so, you know. Yeah. So you're
0: not really an early adopter.
1: Yeah, I'm not <laughs> early enough. I I missed and I think I I think I was late to the party for the the Bitcoin pizza. And, you know, I was like, you know, I just hadn't encountered it. I just, you know, I don't I honestly don't even remember what website or what I was on where it was. We accept Bitcoin, because as soon as I accept uh, as soon as I saw the word Bitcoin, I immediately thought a bit torrent I thought, wow, is, it, did, is there crypto based money out there? And I, 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 whatever I was doing, I just dropped all threads of thought and went straight to what is Bitcoin? I want to, you know, and I wish the, I wish I remember era, what the reference was.
0: The era that you're talking about. Um, the era, the few years ago that you're talking about. It's a very good point to make, and I have never made that before, that Bitcoin and BitTorrent were so close together. But at that time, you know, 2010, to 2013, BitTorrent was at its height. And it was huge. And this was when the Pirate Bay started going through their crazy, um, you know, takedowns. And I actually, I'm going to have one of the founders of the Pirate Bay on one of my next episodes, which is I'm very excited to interview him. But... Satoshi definitely, when he created the name for Bitcoin, had in mind that he was going to be, you know, kind of piggybacking off of the reputation of BitTorrent because people understand basically how BitTorrent works in that you're not downloading something from a centralized server. Rather, you're downloading a file from bits and pieces from other people all over the world. And that's essentially what Bitcoin is. And so they are actually very similar.
1: Yeah, well, in the in sense that it's a it's a distributed network that uses cryptography to make sure that all the participants on the network who are anonymous are following the rules. I mean, that's 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 just it. Cryptography in general is something that helps anonymous participants agree that everyone's following the rules. And so, yeah, that's I think the reputation that BitTorrent. Um, made for itself because BitTorrent is censorship resistant, and anyone can participate in um, BitTorrent. But if someone is a is a bad actor, like po- tries to put you know a bad copy of a file or you know poison the well, so to speak, the crypto rats them out and causes them to be excluded by the system. And that principle, I think, is what Bitcoin th- that reputation. I mean, I mean, the reputation is hey, it just works, and no one can shut it down. But those are the reasons. Or, you know, why it works and Bitcoin gets to borrow from that reputation in, in part by using the name. And and now, you know, how many years later, 2010, 2019, you know, Bitcoin still works the way it did. Whereas, you know, you just expect that it just works. You do a transaction and it, it gets confirmed into a block within the next, you know, 10 minutes typically. And, you know, that's, yeah, that, that reputation has not worn out at all in the last nine years.
0: You're making the point that because Bitcoin is unchanged and still does the same thing, largely unchanged that it has been doing since 2010, is one of Bitcoin's major assets, whereas other blockchains fork and change and, you know, very few, there are small groups of people who have control over it. And you know that a lot of detractors or Bitcoin haters that are that are not no-coiners, but people that are in other blockchains like like Ripple and the like, this is what they use as an argument against Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is unable to change. Uh, You know, it is what it is. I mean, I suppose from some perspectives, you know, the fact that
1: it can't change and it is what it is. I don't want it to change. Yeah, I don't want it to change. I mean, yeah, it, it won't have, you know, Ethereum has a lot of features that Bitcoin, it will never have. And I'm happy with that. That gives Ethereum value and that gives Bitcoin value because Bitcoin value, a lot of Bitcoin's value, in my opinion, comes from the fact that it is the first. It's the it's the prototype. It's still around and it can be expected to likely never change in the ways that other blockchains have changed one of the
0: founders one of the founders of ethereum on this show has 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 come on and said that um and i checked and it's true that vitalik originally wanted to put ethereum on the bitcoin blockchain but it would have required some technical changes that the that the bitcoin community at the time was very against oh yeah forced him to start his own blockchain
1: well, that was smart because um, the thing is that to understand Ethereum requires a much longer, deeper learning curve. And there's probably more of a, you know, there's probably a, a, a lot more vulnerabilities and threats. I mean, Attack they're both batteries. very secure. But like, you know what, I mean, Bitcoin, it, it, no one's trying to improve the, the functionality of Bitcoin and trying to deepen the way smart contracts work on Bitcoin. We just know Bitcoin has, you know, it works this way. And, you know, there's some extra scripting capabilities and there's the ability to do this and that on. It, but by and large, the, the simplicity, the relative simplicity and the fact that Bitcoin is expected to never support this extra complexity is part of the value. And it allows people to wrap their heads around it and feel like, hey, I get this and, you know, feel confident putting their resources into taking risks on Bitcoin.
0: That's the most important thing that we could possibly ask for in terms of this this thing that that we're doing here called Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, and
1: I think the the world has wrapped their, you know, people have wrapped their heads around the idea that there can be more than one cryptocurrency, you know, for the, for the longest time, you know, there was only Bitcoin and any other kind of competing altcoin, you know, some people would see that as a threat as though that would take away from Bitcoin, you know, and then, you know, and then, you know, you know, some things, you know, sometimes bad things happen, but it ultimately has a good outcome in the end. And as I say this, I'm thinking about the, you know, the Ethereum, how they had the Dow hack. And how, you know, Ethereum forked for the first time and then all of a sudden Ethereum became the template for helping people understand what happens if a fork is necessary and if there ends up being two competing views. And at first I thought, you know, well, if Bitcoin forks, well, that's the end of it. But then we saw Ethereum fork and then it's like, oh, wow, okay, there becomes a market for both coins and then one you know, one one end of the fork ends up being dominant and here's what happens to the dominant side of the fork. Here's what happens to the non-dominant side of the fork. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, what want the what? Forks aren't a bad thing. They're just they are what they are. And then so the first time we had a fork in Bitcoin, it was like, oh, no big deal. We're going to have a fork in Bitcoin and we know what to expect. And so, um, you know, that this this. Um, you know the fact that bitcoin is what it is and hasn't been you know the guinea pig for you know for example what happens when a cryptocurrency has to fork i think it gives it um solidarity and solidity uh, uh, i guess that's a bad pun right there cuz that wasn't intended <laughs> but you know yeah that that, the Bitco- that that gives bitcoin a status solidity of, is the programming yeah.
0: language for ethereum for those who don't know
1: yeah yeah that was that was yeah that, that was funny that, that was, was unintended yeah good Freudian slip, if that's the right term there, um, yeah. So th- that gives Bitcoin, you know, the the um, status for what it is. You know, there was a time when Bitcoin's transaction fees were escalating so high, and all of a sudden, that you know, made people ask the question, "Hey, wait a sec." Bitcoin is no longer use, usable as a currency because I can't buy a can of soda with it without incurring a $40 transaction fee and it caused people to say okay well bitcoin's good for this and other coins are good for that but now bitcoin is still the lingua franca for funding you know other accounts because everywhere it, you know if you're going to accept crypto well you got to accept bitcoin it was first so it's now standing in a way you know less so on its ability to be used for soda pop purchases and now for its ability to be accepted everywhere for being the first. So is that a problem? Is that a problem? Is is which a problem? Because I think it's a, is it a
0: problem that, that Bitcoin is too well, you know, Bitcoin on the main chain, I should say, because the lightning network solves those problems. But is it a problem that on the Bitcoin network, you can't buy a cup of coffee? Um, well, it's actually better
1: that you can't. I mean, if you if you can with the Lightning Network and you're willing to accept, you know, the setup complexity and understanding what's going on to to buy a cup of coffee on the Lightning Network, then sure. But the fact is, you know, the the I mean, if we're if if we view it as an asset, that Bitcoin is least likely to change, you know, in terms of what it is and how it works, and it's only good for funding, you know, large volume payments where you want to make single large transactions instead of lots of little ones then it's probably a good thing that it stays you know simple and isn't isn't evolving i mean the lightning network is you know a layer that you know ultimately doesn't change the base um case of what bitcoin is because it does something separate and only you know eventually reconciles to to the the main blockchain but um you know, the idea that I can't buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin is probably about as disappointing as the idea that I can't go to Starbucks and buy a cup of coffee with a wire transfer. It just doesn't make sense that the, you know, the, the building blocks and the fundamentals of, you know, the wire system are such that it's meant for buying real estate, not coffee and by the cup. So and no- so
0: that solution in itself you know, that, that example you just gave of buying real estate and and needing to use a checker wire transfer and, and having the settlement, you know, having settlement attorneys because you're paying them escrow, which costs a few thousand dollars. And I, I just dealt with this and dealing with that whole thing. It'll be a lot easier if you can do a real estate transaction settlement with Bitcoin, because the transaction would take seconds, wouldn't require escrow attorneys. And yes, if I'm paying $4, dollars for to settle a real estate transaction I'm I'm willing to pay $20 for that
1: yeah exactly whereas I just would never pay $20 for a cup of coffee unless it's like DoorDash, you know, if it's, if it's a cup of coffee brought to me, but I don't think I, you know, every cup of coffee merits space on the blockchain because that's a scarce resource and there just enough isn't enough to go around for everyone's cup of coffee. And it's okay because we want Bitcoin to be, you know, we, we still want the, the blockchain to grow at a rate that is still within grasp of people to be able to download it. And I'm not going to download everyone's cup of coffee for any reason whatsoever. No you're right. What you're you're right.
0: Cause you have to download every, uh, the blockchain, but the point that you're making is 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 a point that i agree with that largely the bitcoin community agrees with but going back to 2013 the argument that the point that you're making now was con- was considered crazy and i'll tell you exactly why when eric launched satoshi dice and for those who don't know satoshi dice operated on the main bitcoin blockchain and it was the ability to to bet on because be, the Satoshi Dice was basically the ability to make bets on, you know, if, if you roll a dice, if the number was greater greater than or less than and you pick the right number, you'd win your bet, whether it's when you double your money or whatever it was. But these were largely all these little microtransactions, you know, pennies or 10 cents or a dollar or whatever. Luke DeShire came out. Um, One of Bitcoin's developers in 2013, he was very against Satoshi Dice. He said that it's considered spam. We don't need this stuff on the Bitcoin blockchain. And I was one of those people who says, Luke, you have no right to tell me what I can or cannot do on the Bitcoin blockchain. But nowadays, I'm looking back and I'm saying, you know, Luke was right. Yeah. He, I, I, I think
1: both perspectives are right. In, in, in retrospect, I'm glad that Satoshi Dice and all those spam transactions happened because that allowed us to stress test the network and kind of get an early sense of what happens once you, once you put more volume on the network. But it's volume that's non-committal. It's volume that can disappear and doesn't have economic value. So it's volume that if if all of a sudden there became a cost to playing satoshi dice that was you know 40 dollars a transaction people would leave and so it gave us the ability to have foresight into how the network was going to scale and what we could anticipate uh, so i'm
0: and that's what yeah, happened eventually yeah, they it. put satoshi dice on the ethereum blockchain or something i don't even know what happened to it and that's and that's essentially what happened yeah. um it was priced out but that's okay that's that's the way that it should be i mean markets are efficient when we allow them to be right yeah i'm i'm with you um yeah because uh, like uh,
1: satoshi dice effectively could be um, viewed as spamming the network It'd be it's just simply giving people an economic incentive to spam the network because that's what it takes to get people to you know go do things that take up space on a blockchain is economic incentive so
0: mike how can how can our listeners follow you um for your next venture or whatever you decide to do do you, uh, you have a twitter or a website or You know, I do have a Twitter account as Casatius. I am not active
1: on social media in the sense that I'm not publishing much lately. Um, But I would, uh, I would use my Twitter account as being the place where you're going to hear about whatever's next for me when I start making noise. My last question, where'd you get the name Cassatius? I literally made it up. Where did I get the name Cassatius? I literally made it up. And here's how it worked. Once upon a time, I'm like, you know what? I need a new name that really reflects me. But I'm trying to think of all the names. Like I'd used Bowser for the longest time because, wow, I was a fan of Mario. But I don't know that Mario is what really defines me. And, you know, I of all these different names, you know, I can't think of a pop culture icon that really defines me or something, you know, a character that defines me. And I wanted a name that was unique. I didn't want, you know, I mean, I like going onto a website and be able to say, OK, that's my name. That's me. So, um, you know, a, a phrase that um, really stood out to me was call a spade a spade, because one of the things, you know, a, a core principle for me is, you know, asking the question, you know, why do we call things what they aren't why, why why do we have all these convenient names or you know fiction i i guess Political them correctness, all these things yeah yeah why you know what's wrong with calling a spade a spade and so i took that as okay maybe that's a character trait or something like that that i could wrap into a name so c-a-s-a-s i'm like okay yeah well casas well casas that means houses in spanish well that has nothing to do with me but um you know i i, I took the name you took the letters c-a-s-a-s and thought okay what if i well confucius i wasn't thinking about confucius i was thinking more about shakespeare and what kind of a what kind of an ending could i put on c-a-s-a-s to make it sound like you know something from you know the roman days but like Ah. a character like sounds like a person's name but it isn't really and so i you know casatius is basically c-a-s-a-s with a latinized romanized suffix that sounds like it's the name of a person and it, it stuck. And I, I actually came up with the name before I even came up with the idea of doing coins. But when it was, you know, when I... Started doing the coins, it's like, wow, cassatious coins. Okay, that has a lot of characteristics that it rolls off the tongue, but it rolls off the tongue and kind of has a little bit of an allure. Quite honestly, when people struggle to pronounce it, that wasn't intentional. Like I'm not trying to frustrate people, but you know, when people say, you know, how do we pronounce Louis Vuitton? Or how do we pronounce, you know, Prada? You know, like a lot of these names, they have foreign, you know, you know, origin and it makes people say, Okay, do I am I pronouncing this correctly? And all of a sudden, just by accident, I have people struggling to make sure they pronounce pronounce my name correctly which you know i'm i'm like you know i'm just kind of like wow that was by accident but i'll go for it um you know and you know it is what it is and you know i feel like that was a matter of luck i'm i'm happy with how i came up with the name and then an important aspect of choosing the name was to google it and make sure that it was a word no one else had ever created because i didn't want to copy anything from anyone else for this so that was
0: I'm, i'm pretty sure that's a word that's never been used before
1: yeah, so that's what it had to be. If, it, if someone else had used the word, I would have picked something else.
0: Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank um, you,
1: Charlie, for the invitation. It was this my has been pleasure. wonderful,
0: and I can't wait to actually listen to this episode myself, to be Me honest, too. when it's released. Me too. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mike, and, and have a great week.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. EST. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter, Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. See you next week.